Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Amen. Guys, on Wednesday nights, I don't know if you know this or not, but for the last couple of years on Wednesday nights, I have kept our pastoral team here after service for a prayer meeting. We, we do do some business. We talk about some events. But more importantly, we just pray. We pray for you all. So every Wednesday night from about 8.45 till 10 o'clock, we're praying. And when we get together to pray, one of the questions that I often ask the pastoral team is this question. I would ask them, listen, how would your life change if you knew that Jesus was coming back in six months? Of course, they're looking at me like, and and, and listen, I understand, church, I understand nobody knows the day or the hour. I mean, I get that, right? I understand that nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. But what if, let's just, what if, right? I'm going to stand over here behind, from away from the pulpit because it might be, what if you just happen to know? You just, God showed up in your room, said, listen, on this date, such and such, I am coming back for my church. How would you live? You see, the question for us tonight, if you knew the world was about to end, you know how we used to say that when we were kids, how would you behave? What would you do? I mean, seriously, if you knew that this was all going to go down in the next few months, how would you live? I'm going to pause for effect right there so you can allow that to... Seriously, what? If you knew Jesus was coming back, what would change in your life? See, I would bet that some of you would quit your job right now. I'm, that's it. I'm going to live right. I know Jesus is coming back in the next few months. I quit. I'm going to go. I mean, some of you would quit your job. Some of you would sell all of your stuff. You're like, just get rid of it. Some of you would get really, 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 really radical for Jesus, even more. Some of you, you might be doing some hardcore witnessing, right? Or you might say, listen, I'm not going to quit my job, but I'm going to share more at work. I'm going to be telling everybody about Jesus. I'm not going to be shy anymore about who he is. Maybe some of you would, I don't know, maybe you you would fast. Maybe you say, listen, I'm going to fast. I really want to hear the voice of the Lord. Now listen, church. Listen, if we knew Jesus was coming back, I would bet we would want to get down to business. You see, in recent years, we know this, right? There's been a slew of books published which encourage Christians, which encourage you and I to be more radical for Jesus. You go, well, like what? Well, we have crazy love, right? How to be crazy in love with God, which leads us to crazy, awesome things for Jesus, to be world changers, of course, for Jesus, to do those hard things that we thought we would never do. Jesus is coming back. Are you kidding me? To push the envelope. But here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I'd like for you to consider. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he tells the readers, he tells you and I, that the end is coming. 
And this is how we should live before he comes. First Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11, Paul says, Therefore, we all know that Jesus is coming back. He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Pastor, that doesn't sound like being radical. Peter says, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What's Peter telling us? Guys, Jesus is coming back. And the one thing, Peter, uh, the one thing Peter tells us is this, is that we need to be what? Self-controlled. And we need to be sober-minded. And above all, guys, we need to continue to hashtag love people, just like we learned a few weeks ago. We need to be loving people. Why? What's the opposite? Well, guys, a lot of times in our flesh, in our flesh, we tend to judge people. Well, they're not where I, they're not where I'm, they're not where they're supposed, I can't believe, well, you, and, and, and we judge them from everything from outer appearance to the intents of their hearts. You guys tracking with me? But, but, but Peter says, hey, listen, above all things, guys, be loving. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Boom, busted, right? Oh, come in. How are you? Come in, you know. Oh, no, that's fine. You stay. I can't believe they're going to stay here. I mean, how many days are you staying? Oh, no, that's I can't believe they're staying here more. And, and, and he says, show hospitality. We, we, honey, we, we invited him over for dinner, and they had three plates. You only had one. They had their, I just, I didn't know. I made like eight tacos. I didn't know they were going to have 84 of them. Peter says, guys, listen, if you're going to understand Jesus is coming back, he says this, notice, show hospitality without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see, Peter says, that's what it means to live radically. That's what it means. Serve, love, show hospitality, be different, be different. Well, of course, we go, okay, well, see, now my brain is kind of fried because I need to know what does it mean to really live radically? I mean, because I got to be honest with you. I thought it was like doing something crazy for God. You see, I thought it was, all right, we're going on a mission trip and we're going to be radical and we're going to be, and there's going to be bullets flying and for the gospel of Christ, I'm going to be ducking and, and We think that sometimes because of the word radical, but Peter just said, hey, this is what it means to live radically. Well, we have to do some work now. We have to do some work. If you were to listen to the average news program, it's not unusual to hear the commentator use the term radical to describe someone who is outside the mainstream when it comes to their beliefs or behaviors, right? We see that in the news. You go, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, It's often used, the term radical, it's often used to label someone who is evil or dangerous based upon their religious beliefs, right? We've heard that. You can uh, you can underline anything. We call it radical extremists or radical, and you can just, whatever it might be. And we see that, and so that's not 
really uh, what radical means. You can fill in the blank. But listen, in the case of Christianity, you, here's where it meets, here's where you and I, right? Why? Because we're called to be followers of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, it means you are a Christian. Christ, I-A-N. You go, what does that mean? It means you are like Christ. That's, that's all it means. You are like Christ. And so, in the case of Christianity, it's often used in describing believers who are, check this out, more conservative or something called fundamentalist. Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Okay. Whenever a Christian is described as a conservative, conservatist, this is what it means. As a believer, this person is holding on to traditional values, traditional attitudes, and is cautious about change, innovation, typically in relation to religion. Whoa, 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 whoa. So to live radical, we go, wait a minute, this is what they're saying. If you're radical, you are a, you are a conservatist, and your conservatist goes, no, 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 I'm not really that way because I'm not open to any type of change. Well, then you must be a fundamentalist. Well, a fundamentalist is, as a Christian described, this means that as a believer, he has a religious connotation that indicates unwavering attachments in a set of unwavering beliefs. So you kind of got the same thing. So when it comes to Christianity, you go, okay, so to live radically... You're either conservative and you're going, hmm, no, I'm not open to anything. We're going to do things. We've always done things. This is how we do things. Or you're a fundamentalist who, who, who basically say, nope, I'm not going to waver. Why? Well, here's my religious connotation, and it indicates I stay right here. Church, based upon how the word radical is used, let me ask you this. Are Christians supposed to live radical according to the Bible? Well, Pastor, why do you say that? Guys, because, because listen, our DNA, who we are, guys, is made up of three elements. And the first is loving people, or the first is loving God, excuse me. Then it's second is a should be a natural byproduct is if my vertical is super right on, my horizontal should be good because I'm loving the people that God created. And why do I love people? Because God created you in his image. And if I love God, I'm going to love you in his image. Well, the third thing is, okay, so I got that. So how do we live radical? And are we supposed to? Are we supposed to? Well, tonight we're going to do a little bit of work because we need to learn the common definition of the word radical, the word radical. If you're taking note, let me give you the common definition. The common definition of the word is, number one, it's an objective, right? And it's especially of change or action relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something, far-reaching or thorough. That's what it means 
to be radical. Then it goes on to number two, and it says advocating or based on a thorough or complete political social reform representing or supporting an extreme section of a political party. But then it gives me the noun, and it says this, a person who advocates through or complete political or social reform, a member of a political party, or part of a party pursuing such aims. That's the common definition if you were to say, we're going to live radical. But we need to realize, guys, that this is how the word radical is defined today. However, the definition has really changed over time. If you'll do study and you'll kind of look back and the original meaning found in Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 Dictionary, it's, it, it kind of shows this. Radical, it's an objective. It's from the Latin radicalis, from radix root. And here's what it means. Pertaining to the room or origin, it's fundamental as a radical truth or error, a radical evil, a radical difference of opinions or systems. It's a little bit different than what the modern term radical means. You go, okay, so you're kind of losing me. Okay, well, hold on, hold on, okay? Let's compare the two. Let's compare the two. Let's compare the modern-day, you know, dictionary form of radical versus its original form. You go, what's that? Part of our core value is to live radically for Jesus. But we have to know what that means we see that the use of the word radical today describes someone or something that is far-reaching or extreme from the fundamentals of which, what, which most people uh, believe or do. Originally, it had described someone or something that is true to the fundamentals of what most people believe or do. You go, give me an example. For example, from the beginning of this nation... Until the last century, teaching the Bible to school children was a fundamental part of education. You guys with me? You know that, right? Today, if you were to support the fundamental truth that we should teach the Bible to school children, you would be labeled what? A radical. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Really? You still think that? Or you would be labeled an extremist. Yeah, no, you're not, you're not, dude, you're not hanging with culture. You don't understand. That's not how we do things in our day. So what, church, listen, what, what had to change in our society that being radical is now a bad thing? Well, the answer's simple. It's biblical literacy and disbelief. You see, the word radical did not change, only the perspective of how the word is used and how people are using it. See, teaching the Bible in school today is considered radical. Why? Because most people are biblically illiterate and do not believe that giving children a Christ-centered education is important. And of course, this is a direct contradiction to what the Bible and what Jesus taught. You go, how so? Well, if you're taking note, jot this down. You don't have to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives us some beautiful instructions. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. What are they? 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Do you understand? He said, this is how we should conduct ourselves. We should teach the word of God to our children. This is Again, in our society, what's going on? Oh, no, we shouldn't. You sh- Let them choose their own path. That's not what Deuteronomy says. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, listen, here's what you're going to do. First and foremost, you need to love God. Amen. With what? With every, every breath. Remember, we talked all about loving God. I don't have time to just talk to you about what love means and, and loving God. But we need to love God. That's what he's saying. And he says, and the words which I command you today should be in your heart. The word of God should be in your heart that when you speak, you should be teaching the children. We were on the airplane going to Israel and some, I assume, Orthodox Jews got up, put the prayer shawl on, and they wrapped a cord around their arms. And many people came and said, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, they're, they're quoting Deuteronomy. This is to, to bind the word of God in their arms, and then they'll have a little box, and they put it on, and it's, it's to remind them that the word of God should not only be in their, what? Bind on their arms, but in their minds and in their hearts. Guys, we don't need a cord to remind us we have the word of God. Well, Jesus taught the same thing. Matthew chapter 18, 1 through 5, he said at the time his disciples came to Jesus saying, what is the greatest, who, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what did Jesus say? Then Jesus called the little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, surely I say to you, unless you're converted and become like little children, you will no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives this little child like this in my name receives me. Right? So, guys, think about this. People don't understand the word of God. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus told us, guys, listen, who's the greatest? Pick up the, why? Are are children the greatest in the kingdom? Guys, it's the children have what? They have that super innocent heart that believe everything. And they trust. You understand, right? You who have kids and little ones and all the way through, think about this. I never, as my kids were growing up, I don't think they ever came to me and said, I'm worried, Dad. I don't think we're going to have enough food. Are you... Are you um, I haven't slept in weeks because I don't know where we're going to... Is mom working? I just... They never said that, did they? Why? They, they just continually trusted. Here's what blows my mind. I want to have that heart. I want to have that heart because that's the heart we need to have when it comes to God. It's complete trust. I, like you, have blown it. When it comes to trust, oh, God, I trust you. I trust you. Oh, I don't trust you. I trust you, God. You're a man. I don't know. And, and, and I want to have the heart of a child to go, God's got this. 
I don't see it. Neither do I. But God's got this. I'm tr- tell me. I tr- Really? Really? God's got this. How do you know? I've seen it happen time and time. Guys, I've, I've seen so many things happen that I forget. I'll never forget one evening we were sitting at the house, and you know how things happen. You know what I'm talking about? You know how things happen. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, Nathalie says, hey, um, everything in the freezer's melting. Something's not right with the, with the refrigerator. Everything's warm, and I'm like, oh, no. Right? And so I go look at the refrigerator, and I'm touching things, right? And, and uh, what's the first thing we do, men? We kind of hit it, right? We just, right? That's a, that's, hey, if the tire's low, kick the tire. I mean, I don't know. Long story short, our refrigerator had went kaput. Every, I mean, we were just like, oh. Now, we were in a position where we couldn't just go out and buy one. We just, we just couldn't. We were, we were strapped for cash, and I know what we were going to do, and, you know, and I started to panic. I know it's hard to believe. I started to panic, and I went, um, I went to call my friends, and, hey, can I get a used refrigerator? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Well, it's funny, because somehow we, well, don't, I don't advise this, okay, because I'm going to step right over here. We robbed Peter to pay Paul. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. see, it's not just me. So we robbed Peter to pay Paul. We went, and we bought a refrigerator. We needed one, right? It's something you need. And I'm in the garage, and I'm, I'm unboxing the refrigerator, and somebody drives up to my house. Hey, Pastor, what are you doing? Yeah, I just bought a refrigerator, and yeah, and I had, oh, that's nice one. That's, oh, by the way, I've been meaning to give you this. You know what? He gave me the same amount, the same amount that I had just paid for the refrigerator. Been carrying this around for a couple of weeks, three or four weeks, but I just saw the light on, so I was coming by. Guys, we need to have that heart. Back to living radically. Here's what we need to consider. Church, listen, there are many people who call themselves Christians who openly call for the rejection of Bible doctrines because they may offend some people. Or they themselves might get offended. Now listen, the Bible has to say a lot about those who are offended by the Word of God. Over in Mark chapter 4, 5 through 6, speaking about the Word of God in the heart of people, he says this. Chapter, Mark chapter 4, he says, But some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. You go, Pastor, what's the interpretation? Jot this down. The best interpretation is going to come from the Bible. Jesus himself gave us the interpretation, right? Because if you were to jump over to Mark chapter 4, 16, he says, these, what he's talking about, were likewise the ones sown on stony ground that when they heard the word, they received it with gladness. Whoa, yes! This is great. It's the word of God. Whoa, you mean I'm saying it's the word of God. Wow, right? You ever get that? Yes, he says some of them receive on stony ground and here's what happens. 
They have no root because they themselves, they in themselves, and so only endure for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises. For the word's sake, immediately they stumble. They stumble. He's saying, guys, the word of God comes in. There's a lot of people and, uh, you know. Okay, pastor, what are you saying? Part of our core values for you, church, listen, as plain as, as, as I can say it is this, part of our core values is to build the foundation in which you can walk with God. And you go, why is that? Because it's the word of God. And a lot of times what Jesus just told us is that the word of God comes and they receive it as gladness, but then, but then tribulation happens and, and persecutions and all of a sudden the, the people walk away from God. Nope. Thank you, God. That's why it's so important for us to understand that we need the foundation of the word of God and not just an emotional fix from time to time. God promises you guys and we can we can get excited. We can get I mean guys listen week week after week I could get up here and give you rah rah. I tell you how great you are and go out and conquer the world. I can tell you and I can preach and I can get excited and I can I can do all of that stuff but here's the bottom line when life hits you've got to have the foundation of the word of God so you know what to do next. Got to. Living victoriously has to do, church, listen, it has to do with how deep and rooted your walks are with God and the word of God in your heart. When life hits you, when they tell you your wife has cancer, what are you, you going to do with that? When, when they tell you your, your elderly parents have very short time to live, what are you going to do with that? You've got to have foundation and you've got to trust in the word of God. You guys know uh, Brian and Autumn, they were here speaking a while back and they're going to um, go out to Ethiopia. He's going to be a medical surgeon out in Ethiopia. Well, he was here last Wednesday, and he came in, and, and he said, hey, what are you guys doing? I was here getting my eyes checked. I thought I would come and say hi. Hey, Brian, how's it going? So you've got a date when you're headed to Ethiopia. It's like, no, I'm really bummed. Why are you bummed, bro? He said, because they pushed our date back. I don't know when it is, and I'm just like, told everybody May, and now it's not going to be May. And I go, well, what, what's the problem? He said, well, here's the problem. You ready? He said, a lot of the missionaries that are coming back have actually walked away from their faith. I said, really? He says, because they see third world conditions, they see people dying, they see all of this stuff, and they question their faith with God. And so we need some more counseling to make sure that we're solid in our relationship as a husband and wife, as a family unit, and our walks with God. Because the last thing you want to do is go in the mission field and come back and be like, I don't even think there's a God. That's what the word of God does for us, guys. When we see the ugliness of our world, when we see the ugliness of, 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 of listen, church, life is fragile. I was sitting at my computer yesterday and 
And I read the, the KCB news alert and, and it said a precious, precious child was, was taken from us at, at one of the schools and I just broke down. I was hurt. We live in such a fragile world. And so we need the Word of God. When it comes to the Word of God, church, here's what we must believe. We must believe and we must consider it to be inspired. You go, what does that mean? It means God breathed. We must trust it. We must stand on it. And it may offend you at times. It's called, it's called conviction when the Holy Spirit begins to knock on your heart and you're like, I can't believe the pastor said that. And everybody gets mad at the pastor because we don't want to blame God. Well, the pastor said some things and he stepped on my toes. Well, it's the word of God. And it will offend us sometimes. But here, here's how Paul told Timothy. He said, Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration. Right? You go, what does that mean? It means it's God-breathed. And here's what it, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Guys, it's, it's the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Back in 2005, the London Times reported a new teaching document issued by the Roman Catholic bishops of England. Uh, Wales and Scotland warns that Catholics should not take the Bible literally and that it's not infallible. We should not expect to find scriptures full scientific accuracy or complete historical, historical precision they say it in the booklet, the gift of Scripture, so what sorts of things aren't accurate? You know what they say? Creation, for one. Genesis, they know, has two different and sometimes conflicting creation stories and cannot be considered historical. Rather, the bishops say it simply contains historical traces. You go, Pastor, what, what does that mean? Okay, we're going to jump into our text, but but listen. If you can discredit Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, then we have nothing to stand on. In the beginning, Elohim is the Hebrew for God. Elohim created, the, the, the Hebrew word is bara, B-A-R-A, means created out of nothing, the heavens and the earth. And so what do you think, what do you think our enemy attacks all the time? Well, did God really create, right? Did God really create? Listen, it, it was no big bang, because you cannot create you cannot create order from chaos in the beginning god elohim listen my my brain hurts at night thinking well this big god is amazing and i can't wait to see him and meet him and and hug him and love him but i mean i just can we be honest it blows my mind at times but then i read the word of god and i see how it lines up Tamri can agree with me. We go to Israel and we're just like, this all lines up. You can't make this stuff up. It's just has to be God. Has to be God. 
It has to be God. And the enemy attacks Genesis 1-1 right away. Everything falls apart if, if we take out Genesis 1-1 because he created everything out of nothing. Well, if God created everything, who created God? Well, John tells us, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Before any time exempt, God was there. What was he doing? I don't know. I know that at the moment in time he said, let there be. That's faith, guys. That's where we have to live. We have to live by faith. The word of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is good for us. It profits us something. It gives us doctrine. You go, what does that mean? It tells us the truth that means more than just somebody's opinion. The Bible gives us reproof and correction. It tells us when we are wrong in our thinking or our conduct. And the Bible gives us instruction in righteousness. You go, what does that mean? It tells us how to live rightly before God and men. That's what the Word of God does. That's what the Word of God does. So as we jump into our text tonight, let us consider the biblical definition of living radical. To start off, okay, the word radical is not found in the Bible, okay? That's going to be the first thing everybody goes, well, radical is not in the Bible. There's a lot of words. Did you know that Bible's not in the Bible? I mean, there's a lot of words that are not in the Bible, right? I got a phone call the other day on... And we were, we were teaching, I was teaching as a radio, and precious, precious sister said, you know what, don't quit telling the people about the rapture. The word rapture is not found in the Bible. <sighs> well, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but the concept, the rapturus, right? Don't have time to get into that. But, but again, there's, okay, okay, back, back to our own. Stay, stay focused, Pastor. To start off, the word radical is not found in the Bible, but radical or living radical according to the original definition stands true in the word of God. You're, you're like, how so? Okay, now here's where we start taking notes. You ready? Let me give you three ways that we should begin to live radically. You go, what's that? Number one, the way we deal with sin in our lives. That's the first thing. The first thing to step out and live radically for Jesus is to understand and deal with sin in our own lives. Number two, the way we begin to live radically is, do we truly believe? You go, why? Because do you realize that you will behave what you actually believe? You go, what's the third one? How do we behave? So you got how we deal with sin, what we truly believe, and how we truly behave. Now, we have to consider these three approaches to living radical. Okay, let's talk about number one. How do we, how, are we radical on how we deal with sin? How do we view and deal with sin? It's the first step to radical living. Listen, Jesus describes this radical approach first and foremost in dealing with sin. Matthew chapter 18 is our text. That's where we are. Jesus is speaking, and notice what he says. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom these offenses come. 
if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than living, rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire. Well, let's do some work, okay? Because that's how Jesus said. Jesus said, this is how we're going to have to deal with sin. This is how we should deal with it, okay? Number one, he says, woe to you, woe to the world because of offenses. The first woe is a cry of pity to the world in danger of offenses. The second woe is a warning to those who bring and introduce evil to others. You go, well, pastor, I'm not sure what offenses mean. Well, if you have a pencil handy, you can circle offenses. And it's actually the Greek word scandalon, where we get our English word scandal. What does it mean? It means a scandal, a snare, an occasion to fall, an offense, a thing that offends, or a stumbling block. So the Lord says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says to what? to the world because there's going to be stumbling blocks. There's going to be sin. There's going to be a snare. There's going to be scandals. He says, woe. But he says also, woe to the man by whom these come. Church, we live in a fallen world, and it's inevitable that sin and hurt and offenses come. We know that's going to happen. Yet the person who brings these offenses is guilty before God and has no excuse. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. You guys remember Joseph, right? Joseph brothers. You remember that? These dudes? They, Joseph's brothers might be saying after it was all said and done, look how wonderfully God used it when we sold our brother Joseph into slavery. God is awesome. God used it to send him ahead of us into Egypt and to save the whole family because God used it for good. It must have not been a sin for us. You know what Jesus would say? Jesus would say, not at all. Offensive must come, that is for certain, and God will use the offenses of others in our life, but you are still responsible by whom the offenses come. That's what Jesus would say. In the passage that we just read, Jesus stressed that offenses, these anti-biblical and anti-Christ beliefs and behaviors, would come as time gets closer and closer to the ends. In church, you can just look at the news and go, man, we're so far off base from where we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. We're, we're way off course. And again, we understand it, that they're going to come. The Bible says, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. And we see that all around us. We say we're going, we're shaking our heads, guys, and I don't know if you feel it, but in our world, we are like in this pressure cooker waiting for the top to explode. And as believers, we're crying out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I don't know how much this world can take. I don't understand how people have this view and how they live and how they're so blinded. And I mean, we're just like, and, and true believers, guys, see what's going on. And we're like, man, I see the truth. Like, you don't see this? And they're going, no, I don't see anything. I don't. And, and we're just like, wow. It's almost like that movie. You guys remember that movie, Left Behind? And, and, and Kirk Cameron had accepted Christ, and then he was in the council, and he saw what really happened. 
and, and the Antichrist shot that dude. If you haven't seen it, I'm spoiling it. But he shot the dude and, and, and point blank and everybody, and he's like, oh, I can't believe this. And everybody walked out and they saw a different thing. They didn't see it. They're like, wasn't it just so sad? And he's like, didn't you see what I saw? And she's like, yes, he took his own life. And I mean, it was just like, that's how I feel at times. The world's going, don't you see? Poor thing. And we're going, it's, anyways. So in order, guys, to understand the biblical core value, we have to, as believers, first and foremost, see how do we deal with sin in our lives? How do we deal with sin in our lives? The second thing is, are we radical on what we believe and how we behave moving forward? How so? Well, say goodbye to Matthew 18. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in verse 27, just a few verses, guys. It says this, you have heard that it was said of old, Jesus is speaking, right? You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable that it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cast it. Now, I mean, understand this, right? Understand this. He goes on to say, remember in the passage, he goes on to say that when we are angry with our brother, it's the same as murder. It's the same as murder. Obviously, literally, if my right hand causes me to sin, if that were the case, guys, I think all of us would be, we'd have no eyes, we'd have no hands, or no feet. Why? Because that's, I mean, he's not talking in a literal sense. What's he talking about, guys? He's talking about a heart issue. He's talking about our heart. Why? Well, let's break it down, right? Let's break it down real quick. Okay, you have heard it said that said of old, right? It's in the commandments. He says, don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. What does that mean? If you're married, you don't go with another woman. You don't commit adultery. And everybody's like, amen, right? Because we don't want to commit adultery. We know the pain that it, it causes. And we, I mean, just don't do that. But Jesus says, but let me take it a step further. He says, what's that? He says, but I say to you, Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. Where? In his heart. In his heart. What, what the Lord is getting at, guys, is really, really simple. We have to guard our hearts. We, in order to live radically, we have to know how to deal with sin, and we have to guard our hearts. You go, why is that important? Because what we believe is going to determine how we behave. What we believe is going to determine... Okay, you go, how so? Captain Obvious declares to us that, yes, it's far worse to actually have a physical affair than to lust and go, oh, I had an affair in my heart. Okay? 
so Jesus isn't saying it's the same thing because then people will go, well, I've already had an affair in my heart. I might as well act upon it. That's not what he's saying. You, you see what I'm saying? There, there's, there's, there's two different points. You go, well, what is he saying? He's saying that there are times, guys, that outwardly we can behave one way but simply believe another. You go, wow. Wow. Jesus says, listen, you can modify your behavior and walk around like this and say, man, I'm not going to look at another woman. I'm not, listen, no, uh-uh. But he says, but if your heart, in your heart, you're, you're pulling up images that you've had and that you've seen and that you've looked at at a computer and you're doing this, he says, you see where it's going to go. You see where it's going to go? He says, he says, why? Because what you believe will ultimately determine your behavior. Same thing with murder. Same thing with murder. Guys, radical living has to do with our heart. What we truly believe about God and the word of God, what we truly believe about his promises, what we truly believe about faith and love and his compassion and mercy and grace in our lives, what we truly believe, guys, is going to defect, is going to is going to affect how we behave, how we conduct ourselves. Radical living from a biblical stand, from a biblical sense starts out with a genuine love for God. Listen, church, I get it. We're, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We mess up all the time, but, but your love for God has to grow so much that you're going, listen, I don't want to do this to God. And I'm going to behave like this because I love God. It ha, it has to. True confession time, true confession. There are times when, let's be honest, let's be honest. We love God with all of our heart, but we're always thinking, how can I, how can I get away with this? What can I do? Listen, I live in the real world, and, and I don't know if God governs the real world, and so some, a situation would happen, and instead of living what we're supposed to live, I mean, I always try to look for a loophole. And the Lord's like, really, dude? Because I want to love God so much that I go, okay. It's going, to do, it's going to what? It's going to affect how I behave. Guys, it's pretty clear that Jesus advocated being radical when it comes to eliminating things in our life that lead us to sin. And disbelief both in practice and in spirit. Okay, I want to close with this question. How can, we, how can we be biblically radical? How can we? Well, the first thing is, jot this down, the first step is to have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ. 
This comes by believing the gospel of salvation, actively seeking to have our minds changed by the power of the Holy Spirit through God's word. We have to have the mind of Christ. Listen, church, let's let's back up just a little bit. When we sin and the Holy Spirit convicts us, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because that that wants to help us grow when we when we and, and here's what the Bible when we begin to sear the Holy Spirit, our conscience, then it becomes almost like you don't feel anything anymore. And then we can begin to do things without without feeling without feeling God anymore. And what once used to be a child of innocence looking think about it this think it like this the first time you saw something you weren't supposed to see your friend called you over his dad had a stack of these magazines and you looked at them you remember how you felt that first time it was your innocence was now being taken and you, oh, but I felt weird. I felt weird. Oh. Well, if you continually, well, what happens is that eventually you can look at that stuff and, and not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. Well, it's the same thing with, 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 with all kinds of things. And again, think about it, guys. We have to have, what? The mind of Christ. As a matter of fact, jot this down. Romans, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What's he saying? Live radically. Live radically. Well, how? Do not be conformed to the world but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. You know what Paul is telling us? He goes, guys, you want to live radical? Just live the Christian life. That's it. See, a lot of us think radical, we're going to jump off the building and we're going to fly and we're going to take Lubbock by storm. You know how we're going to do that? Check it out. Listen, by every one of us just going, I'm going to follow the principles and the guidelines and the word of God. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation, and I'm going to behave that way. And you know what's going to happen? Your life is going to change. Why? Because, because listen, you're not going to be ashamed anymore. And you're going to say, listen, here's what I believe. I believe, listen, I believe that children should be taught in school the word of God. I believe it's the only thing that's going to bring salvation to people. I believe the word of God is the foundation of which our country was built upon. And I mean, and, and guys, we're just going to be, we're just going to be, we'll be radical. Why? People are going to go, you're, you're a radical. And you go, amen. What are you doing? I'm living for Jesus. How? Every single day. I don't have to get on TV. I have to jump around and, and you know, you know what living radical means, guys? It's exactly what we did on Sunday. What did we do? We just served people. You lived radically. How? Serving people. How did I do it? You go, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? That's our core value. 
Paul writes in Colossians, jot this down, chapter 3, 2 and 3. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Why should we set our minds in, in heaven, guys? For you died and your life is hidden. Did you know you died? But you didn't know you died. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Paul just said, you died. The old you, it's gone. And your mind is in Christ. Well, pastor, let me just say this. I think some of you Christians are so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Because my mind is in Christ, and I know his heart for people, I'm really earthly good. Why? Because I'm, I'm living what he wants me to live. I'm living how he wants me to live. I'm an extremist. What did you do? I got up and I prayed. And I actually asked God, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do? Let's go. What do you want me to do? I'm, I'm, in, I'm a crazy, radical Christian for God. What did you do today? I did whatever my God wanted me to do because I believed his word and I behaved according to his word. Well, what happened when you sinned? It's, it's the craziest thing. You know what happened when I sinned? I asked him to forgive me. And he did. And I got up and I kept moving forward. You see, that's the problem, guys. The problem is the enemy whispers in your in your ear, you have to be perfect. You shouldn't do And it's like, no, you know what? You're going to sin. You're going to stumble. You're going to burn the toast. You're going to say mean things to your wife. You're going to say ugly things to your husband. This is, I mean, this is who we are. We have to repent. We have to say, I'm so sorry. That wasn't me. And then you say, please forgive me. And you keep moving where? Forward. Keep moving forward. Living radically. Living radically, guys. It's really simple. It's just being who God called you to be. That's all it is. You know where it starts? It starts with loving God. So let me leave you with these questions. I've got just one minute, okay? One minute. Do you love God? Do you love God? Do you love everything about his word? Have you hidden your, his word in your heart so that you don't sin against him? Have you go, God, I just, your word is in my heart. Do you love God? You go, Pastor, I love God. Do you love him with all your heart? I do. Do you love him with all your soul? That's everything within me. I love him. Do you love him with all your strength? Do you get up every morning with the purpose to glorify him? You go, Pastor, I do. Every breath you take, is it love for him? Every blink that you blink, is it for him? Well, Pastor, you're getting radical. Exactly. You go, yes, I do. I love him. I love him. Okay. So if you love God, then you're going to love people. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. Here's the problem. It's easy to love y'all. It's easy. You guys are lovable, man. But sometimes God calls us to love who? 
the Ninevites. Who are them Ninevites? My boss, he's a Ninevite. You got to love them. My uncle, he's a Ninevite. Yeah, got to love him. The cashier. The cashier down at the grocery store who's just had a bad day. We're called to love. You realize that she's made in God's image. And then, of course, the third one is what? Live radically. Live radically. And so next week, church, listen. Next week, we're going to take people from the Bible who's lived radically. Let me give you an example. Who was who somebody that lived radically? Didn't Daniel live radically? Daniel was out of control. He lived so radically for God, and, and all he did was love God, Right? But he was so radically that his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're following Daniel. He's a prime example. What about Joseph? So we got some radical people. I mean, I, I mean, apart, we're not, we're not going to study Jesus because Jesus was like the radicalist of all. I mean, he was... That's a great place to study, but, but we're thinking about people <laughs> people we can relate to, like Paul, the Apostle Paul. I wonder, do you ever wonder if Nicodemus was radical after? I think so, right? Because nobody wants to give money back. You know what? Listen, we're all good about asking forgiveness from God, but give money back? Lord, I, I, now he was radical. Why? Because he said, listen, I've, I've stolen money from you and I want to give it back. Oh, 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 radical. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate and we love you so much. We want to live radical and so we look forward to next week. And we look forward to what you have and what you want to do in our lives. And we look forward to learning and growing. So God, today, teach us. Show us our hearts, God, because what we really believe determines how we behave every single day. And so, Lord, for me, I don't want no compromise. I want to believe Genesis to Revelation, your word, your spoken word. And I want to just, I want to live that way each and every day. And I pray that for these, these people as well. In these beautiful saints. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, 
please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.